Hi, everyone, and welcome to our podcast and episode series called If You Don't Mind Me Asking, where uh, Lucy and I, uh, Dan, ask as many questions as we can uh, to our guests. Usually, I think we're averaging about three a session at the moment uh, about their lived experience uh, as persons with disabilities. Uh, so Lucy and I are over here working from the Business Disability Forum. And Lucy, over to you. So it's obviously always a pleasure to do these podcasts and webisodes, but it's not every week we invite someone along who's done a TED talk. I'm like waiting for a woo. <laughs> um, and actually, it's even more exciting when it's one of our colleagues at BDF. So we are delighted to welcome Chantal Emery, Advice Service Officer at BDF. Hello, Chantal, and welcome. Hello, uh, Hello Diane and Lucy. Thank you so much for having me here. It's, it's lovely uh, to be here. No, literally, it is our pleasure. So um, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to our audience? Tell us a little bit your background and uh, and your, start us off with your story, I suppose, in many ways. Perfect. I'll try and make it short and sweet <laughs> and not too long so we go over for 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> so I'll start off with uh, when I was studying, when I went studying at uni. I think that's a good place to start. Uh, I've always had a passion to help people, but I wasn't quite sure just what I wanted to do. So initially, I studied psychology. I did uh, undergrad in psychology, and then I went and studied my honours in psychology, and I really liked it, and I really enjoyed the psychometric assessments, and I thought, this is something I would like to do. So I went and I specialised another two years in that, um, and eventually I was able to um, write my board exam, did that, and started working. I tested my internship and career guidance and school readiness assessments, and I moved to the UK. Um, I was living in London and I was working at um, a big company that does also psychometric assessments, but they were doing it for career development and selection and development. So it was a completely different and new experience and I absolutely loved it. And I went back to South Africa. Um, that's where I'm originally from. I probably should have started with that. Mm -hmm. um, went back to South Africa and I was working as a psychometrist and my life changed completely. Um, I was involved in a car accident, broad daylight, no drinking and driving, a day after Christmas, um, the only car on the road. <laughs> and it was like a freak accident. We were driving down the road. Someone looked like it was coming into our lane. We swerved away and hit the only tree in the on the sidewalk, um, I instantly broke my back. I dislocated my spine is what they said it, but breaking my back. Um, and I was in, a, really, luckily I had a really good hospital plan. So it's not exactly the same as it's here. In South Africa, you actually have to have like medical insurance and these different levels of medical insurance. And the one I decided was really good hospital plan because I didn't really think about what if I break my back and I have to learn how to walk again? So um, I was in hospital, everything was going well. And then I had to be, I couldn't go home because I had to go and learn how to put on, how to sit up. And first of all, because in hospital, they don't teach you that after you broke your back. But, you know, but I had to learn how to get dressed and make your bed in a wheelchair and all these different things that, you know, that they <laughs> throw into the mix. And I went and I had to go to a government rehab, which was not on the same standard as anything that you think about government here. If you, you know, if you complain about the NHS, you should go to South Africa and see, <laughs> and see what happens there. Um, I suppose I was really fortunate. I had like, lots of support from my parents 
and and my friends and my parents helped me to buy a new car and the first thing I wanted to start doing was go back to work and unfortunately because I broke my back and I was in a wheelchair my work said I won't be able to come back and it's not because I can't do my job it's just because they thought I you know I won't be able to do my job and when I was ready to get back they already found someone else to do my job so there I was <laughs> willing to work and I don't have a job and I experienced firsthand how difficult it is to to um, apply for positions in a wheelchair and not getting the callbacks and then I decided well <laughs> leave off that I'm in a wheelchair and see if I get the callbacks and I did um, and then at the end just before the day of the interview I'll leave it to, to the last minute phone and said um, I just want to make sure that there's no stairs and that you're accessible. And usually the answer was, I'll get back to you. And if I do come back, it was always, sorry, the position has been filled, um, which was, <laughs> you know, was really, really frustrating. So then I sent my CV absolutely everywhere. I was desperate. I was, you know, like I would take what I could get. And I started working at the recruitment agency. Um, they called me in and I thought, oh, this is going to be a job. And then it was actually a job for them. And I thought, well, I've always worked with recruitment agencies um, doing the selection and development of candidates. And, and I thought, well, you know, I can definitely, you know, I'll, I can definitely do this. Um, and I started working there and it was a completely different experience it's not of like the typical recruitment agency that we have here so there it was you find a top talented candidate and you sell it into businesses so it was a lot of research we had to do um like you know like in my areas was also mining petrochemical and chemical and I've never done anything like that before so it was a completely new experience I I'd, so lots of research managed to do it for about a year actually started really enjoying it and then I just in that year I met a lot of people with disabilities and I thought well this is like the perfect opportunity some of them exactly like me um you know have qualifications willing to work but they just don't get the opportunities to do so so I went to my employer and I said to them how about we do this for people with disabilities so we take top talented people with disabilities sell them into businesses um, and they said no unfortunately that doesn't fit into their business model so there I was thinking so okay what do I do I really want to it feels like I really need to do something for people with disabilities and I feel like I can have a voice for them and I decided to go to our competitors and offer them exactly the same thing and they were over the moon and I started working there soon after and while I was working there I realized that it is not about just recruiting people with disabilities because we managed to do that and place people with disabilities, but they didn't stay for very long. Um, or, and the reasons was usually not because of the job. Usually, it was about managers that they're working with or the um, you know, like the the colleagues that they're working with. Um, and it wasn't really you know the job itself. So I started doing disability awareness training. I first did it for all the consultants in the branches because I thought they, you know, have to do that when they're recruiting people with disabilities and then sell it to, um, you know, the, the agencies as well or the um, businesses as well. And I did that for a while and I decided that this is actually really what I wanted to do. And I started my own business doing exactly that, going big to corporate companies, helping them recruit and retain people with disabilities. That's awesome. 
Yeah, it sounds like there was a real sort of culture there of, well, it, it, from what you're saying, the culture wasn't quite uh, quite ready in a way for that sort of inclusion. So, yeah, there was a need there, but didn't seem like the message was really getting through to other colleagues at all. Is that something yeah. you think was like, sort of like, is I fair to say about what it was like in South Africa? Absolutely. And I would also say um, like a little bit more about the the culture of people with disabilities often um in south africa it will see like you know maybe you sinned or your forefathers sinned or someone sinned and that's the reason why you've got this disability or that's the reason why your kids have disabilities so um there is a lot of work to be done with um you know cultures as well and see how you change the perception um i I, I definitely saw a change because I did it for about five years. I definitely saw a change, but um, there was so, so much more that <laughs> still could have been done. Yeah. I mean, and it obviously sounds like what well, disability has sent you off on a completely different path um, from, you know, what you were, you were doing previously, but no, that isn't total thing that defines, you, you know, family's really important to you too. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about them as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I met my husband just after, like a few months after, probably about 10 months after the car accident. Um, and it was also a friend of a friend that said, you have to go to this restaurant <laughs> because the people can, you know, like know how to handle people with disabilities and people in wheelchairs. And I thought, well, in South Africa, you don't often hear of that. So um, definitely go to this restaurant. And my husband was the restaurant manager. <laughs> Needless oh. to say, like a few months, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, that's a different story. But needless to say, when we got married, um, it was like a three for one package. Uh, he's already had three children before we got married. So a boy, Josh, Justine and Danica. Um, they were 10, 9 and 8, <laughs> so really close ages. Um, so, it, yeah, it was an instant family. And we decided, well, let's have another one. And we had Scarlett, and she was so cute and a little firecracker. So I'm really close to my brother, and I can't imagine my life without him. Um, I do have stepsisters that's a little bit older than me, but my stepsisters were really close, and then it was me, and then, you know, my brother and myself were really close. And I said to him, well, let's have another one. And he said, well, um, no, I don't think that's a really good idea. And <laughs> and to this day, he doesn't let me live it down. Uh, <laughs> we did have another one, and every time we went back for a scan, they said, oh, there's only one. And then there was, oh, there's only two. Do you have twins in your family? And the third appointment, I remember clearly, it was the 10th of um, April. And the doctor went with the sonar and you could see three little heartbeats. And I don't think my husband spoke for like a month after that. <laughs> into silence. And yes, the doctor said, you know, like my husband still said, doctor, it's not April Fool's. It's the 10th of April. And he was like really stern, Afrikaans um, gynae and he just said no um, I won't joke about these things <laughs> so there <laughs> I was all of a sudden it's you know like it's completely different a person with a disability first of all it was really difficult to find a gynae that could um, that can assist me because there isn't I did try and do like a lot of research of gynae that can help people in wheelchairs with spinal cord injuries and I couldn't find mine. I did find, but he had only like one person before, and it was also not a spinal cord injury. She wasn't a wheelchair though, so um, not lots of experience, unfortunately, in South Africa. I don't know if it's not talked about, but um, you know, 
yeah, so I had the three and then the day that they were born, they decided to come really early. Um, I just didn't feel well the night before and I still remember wetting the bed three times and we had to change all the bedding and it was just I have to catheterize so I don't know when I need to go to the bathroom and I just thought well maybe the babies are lying funny and that's what happened um, and I went to the bathroom the next morning uh, that night I first went and I put a really big nappy on and I still remember thinking I don't have to wake up until tomorrow morning <laughs> because <laughs> you know, um, there won't be any accidents and then the next morning I woke up and I just didn't feel well and I thought let me go and get ready and then when I'm ready my husband because he was at work can take me to hospital um, it was only myself Josh and Scarlett at home Josh was only 13 at the time and I went to the bathroom and I took off my nappy and there was the first baby already so as you can imagine, it's something like you see on Discovery Channel, you think it's really not possible, but I was so shocked and I was calling Josh to come and help me. So Josh ran in eventually, he was sleeping really <laughs> late because the kids stayed up all night and um, Scarlett had to go and wake him up. So he rushes in and he rushes out and Scarlett screamed, I don't want to be a doctor. And I had to call him back, <laughs> I had to call him back really calmly and said, um, I need your help. And I just, you know, look, I remember thinking I need to stay calm or else he won't be able to help me. And I need to know mm. what's happening because I can stand a little bit, but only if I like hold on to something. And I was holding on to the windowsill, um, you know, like taking a nappy off when everything happened. So he came in. <laughs> he probably had the shock of his life with everything he had to see. Um, and I asked him if he can please just hold the baby so I can feel with the others. And he did. And I was, as I put my hand down there and I took it away, like it was just like a waterfall. And Bradley slid across the ice cold floor. And I just remember um, Josh saying, he's hanging from his umbilical cord. And it was um, Daniel hanging upside down from his umbilical cord. And I don't know how we managed to do it, but we managed to sit down and he passed the babies to me and we had to find the um, emergency services. Long story short, my husband came home a few minutes later. We had to wait 45 minutes for the ambulance to arrive. Um, my dad my dad also arrived and he took Bradley to hospital because the umbilical cord snapped so he, you know, he could take him to hospital. And we were waiting for the ambulance to come and eventually they arrived and they can only take two babies at a time or two passengers at a time, even though we were really, really tiny, but we were smaller than a block of margarine, um, a big, mm -hmm. you know, a big block of margarine. So they weighed between 805 grams and 1.1 kilograms. So really, really tiny. Um, and yeah, so rushed off to hospital. I felt like a celebrity when I arrived there. All my friends and family were <laughs> waiting for me. And I just remember getting there and like wave, wave, wave and into the room. And the doctor said to me, um, there's another baby. And I said to him, no, <laughs> it's not possible. I had the three at home. And it was really high up where I had um, like a little bit of pain still. And he just pressed in it and boops, there's Harvey, our hide and seek champion. <laughs> he just arrived um and but unfortunately he was blue when he, he when he was born and I just remember my heart sinking and thinking you know he didn't survive and um the nurse ran out and as she started running he started breathing by himself 
So we had a really long experience um, in the NICU. So the nurses and everybody started becoming like family for us. Um, so yeah, family is really, really important for me. You know, when it comes to kids and everything. And I think that's also the reason why we ended up in England. Um, the boys, we started noticing they, um, well, Bradley passed away about two weeks after that. Um, so because he fell, he had blood clots that went through his brain. So we always think that, you know, he had his job to come and do on earth. And um, we are religious. So the church was absolutely packed. And we always think that, you know, he came here, he did his job, and that's why he's not here anymore. So, you know, like, even if it feels like a big loss for us, um, you know, it feels like it has, you know, that the purpose, his purpose has been done. I um, wanted to say that, obviously, the loss of Bradley and, you know, as a parent losing a child, it's not something we want to gloss over. And in case our listeners think that we don't care or whatever, but just to say, actually, grief in all sorts of aspects, we are looking to cover in other ways moving forward at BDF, because we think it's a really important topic and, and relating to disability as well. And I know that we're hoping to get you back to talk about this in, in more detail. So I don't want people to think that we've just gone and kind of been dismissive of that. So yeah. um, thank you for sharing that, because I know that's not necessarily an, an easy thing. Um, but one thing I want to ask you around is, is, is your, your boys. Um, so I think it's Har Harvey, um, Gabriel and Daniel in, in particular and, and, and how they are. And I think it, it's fair to say they've got quite complex needs going forward. Could you tell us a little bit about that? And then I've got another question for you. <laughs> Perfect. So, um, yeah, so they, because they were born so early, and I think because they, you know, like all the traumatic birth experience, everything contributed to, a, a, initially they said it was de developmental delay, and we could see something was seriously wrong. They weren't sitting like other babies would do that age, even if you correct the age and put three months, at three months in, um, they were just not developing like other kids would. Um, so we decided that we really needed to find the care for them. And in South Africa, we had a neurophysio that we were visiting and the physio said to us, um, she knows in the UK that they've got, you know, like a whole team working with kids with special needs. And my husband and myself looked into it and we made the decision the next Monday to pack. And six months later, we arrived here <laughs> with um, our kids, well, three boys and Scarlett and Josh were still on the way. The daughters decided to stay with her mom. Um, and yeah, they have really complex needs, but we only found it after we came to the UK. So they have severe cerebral palsy. Um, each three of them, obviously they're completely different, have different epilepsy and they've got different cerebral palsy and personalities and um, they look a little bit similar to them but Daniel has a shunt as well but just contributes to he's probably had about eight operations brain operations where he had to revise the shunt so they definitely keep us on our toes <laughs> And, you know, as, as a mother, I say this, and this is a horrible question I'm going to ask you now. So, you know, but we've spoken about this, so you kind of know it's coming. I, I suspect you get kind of a lot of pity from other parents in particular. Oh, you poor thing. How do you cope? Or oh, I don't know how you do it. And I think in many ways it probably comes from a good place. But actually, I think if you've had that three or four times a day, it actually becomes quite insulting, actually, and quite hurtful, I'd imagine. But but how do you find those kind of reactions from people? And, and do you get much of that, I suppose, is the question. You're absolutely right. Every day, 
like people say I don't know how you do it you are right I think it probably doesn't come from I don't know how you do it but it actually come from like wow I don't know how you do it but um you know we don't really take it too personally when people ask like that because you don't really know <laughs> until you've been put in that position you don't know how you will act um and for us you know we've got a whole mindset of being grateful um so and we also teach it to our, like our kids, all our kids. And we started doing something in lockdown um, where we went like, I'm grateful for every day and do like a one minute video on Facebook or, you know, over social media channels where the family gets together, quickly tell us what you're grateful for. Um, everybody tells what they're grateful for today, just to create that habit to see like I'm grateful for something because in the morning you have to really think like, hmm, I must remember to think what I'm grateful for today for tonight's um you know for tonight's video and we started doing that and we could really see like a change even with us as a family um as well as you know as well as our kids awesome uh, has that carried on after lockdown as well Chantel or is that something you were storing up some good ones taking a break and then bringing them back we, well we do we um did like a first lockdown took a little bit of break came back again um and then you start missing it you know like you think to yourself oh i want to tell it because it's so nice going on facebook and you see a reminder of a year ago two years ago this is what i was grateful for um you know i was i was going to crossfit this morning and on the way back i saw the most beautiful sunrise and i thought tonight that's definitely what i'm going to be my, i'm grateful for um today so we're still doing it we started another um, 100 days i'm grateful for and you know like we do it whoever's available so sometimes it would be just my husband sometimes i would join in and sometimes it would be scarlet as well so um the other kids is in south africa at the moment so they're not here but we do try and even you know the boys are still awake and that time we also get them in the video even if they just make noises at least they're there <laughs> yeah that's brilliant thanks ever so much Chantel. I, I think we're we're coming to what's going to have to be the close i think we could definitely get at least another couple of episodes out of chatting to you. But um, the, one of the last things I'm going to ask about was just sort of if um, we already said that you've, you've got the TED tour underneath your belt. So where would our uh, listeners be able to find you? So Facebook, you're more than welcome to make friends with me on Facebook. So you can just find me Chantal Emery on Facebook. Um, I am on LinkedIn and I am on, um, and you can watch my TED talk on YouTube. Wicked. I think we'll have to include the uh, link to that, won't we, Lucy? Yeah, I was going to say, we'll include a link to that and you can get the full details and everything uh, within that. And it's a fantastic, and you do it with your husband, Rob. I know that TED Talk, and you're, you're quite a double act. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it really is fantastic. And it's like, there were about four or five more questions we didn't get time for today. So we might have to do a Chantal Emery part two kind of thing on this one, maybe um, in, a, maybe in a future series. But Chantal, thank you ever so much for joining us today. A fascinating story. And, and again, Thank you for being so open and sharing what is an incredibly personal story. Um, and we're definitely having you back in one way, shape or form. So thank you for your time and thank you everyone for listening. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. You can find future episodes on major streaming platforms, search Business Disability Forum or at businessdisabilityforum.org.uk and search podcasts. You can also watch the series on our YouTube channel, search for Business Disability Forum. Please do share and leave us a rating. 
Business Disability Forum is the leading business membership organisation in disability inclusion. We work in partnership with business, government and disabled people to remove barriers to inclusion. Businessdisabilityforum.org.uk